Welcome to Keystone Education Radio, the podcast for all things focused on education in Pennsylvania. Now here's your host, Annette Gray. We're talking about a topic that impacts all of us in some respect. If you're among the hundreds of millions of licensed drivers on the road today, the topic of teen drivers and the risks affiliated with drivers aged 16 to 19 is one that you will have noticed in the headlines covering far too many incidents and what appears to be avoidable car crashes. If you're the parent, grandparent, or family member of a teenage driver, the concern is more immediate and near to home. According to the U.S. Department of Transportation's National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, drivers aged 16 to 19 are nearly three times more likely to be involved in a fatal crash than drivers aged 20 years and older. Nationally, each year, we lose 4,000 teens who are killed in crashes across the country. Another 400,000 are injured. In 2018, crashes are still the leading cause over all other causes of teen deaths. On average, in Pennsylvania, there are 229 fatal teen driver crashes. Driver distractions such as passengers, cell phone use, speeding, substance abuse, and lack of seatbelts can all play a role. But what makes a teenage driver more at risk and what can we all do to reduce this risk? On this topic, I'll be talking with Violet Marrero from the NJM Insurance Company. Welcome, Violet. Thank you for having me. Very welcome. So this is such an important topic for all of us and we're very excited to have you as our guest today and to hear more about what your company is doing to prepare teen drivers and what we can all be doing. NJM is a leading property and casualty insurer, and they have made an enduring commitment to safety and support of the communities that they serve. As part of that commitment, NJM has adopted a program called Share the Keys, developed by the New Jersey Division of Highway Safety and Keene University. It is a research-based, data-driven program designed to reduce teen driver crash risks through increased parental involvement. Launching during Teen Driver Safety Week in October, NJM is now offering this program to high schools in Berks, Bucks, Delaware, and Montgomery counties. So Violet, thank you for being with us today. The factors that make novice drivers at risk, including driving under the influence, texting and talking on mobile devices, passenger distractions, and speeding, These are among some of the factors that can impact seasoned adult drivers as well. So what makes teen drivers more at risk? Does this really all boil down to experience and maturity? I would say that those are the two biggest factors uh, for sure. But I also think that this uh, is a matter of having support, right? So Share the Keys is intentionally built for parents and teens because it truly takes a village to raise a child. And so... This is something that's happening to them, but you'll often find that the, the inexperience that they have is also compounded by the lack of practice driving that they're getting and they're being supported with at home, if that makes sense. Um, and this is a generation that has so much more in terms of technology and distraction that's available to them. So I think it's natural to see that they would be more at risk for being involved in crashes that are caused by distractions. Um, and it's a new skill set that they're building. And so when it comes to things like passenger distraction, you and I would not be as distracted by a passenger. A passenger would act as a co-navigator for us because this is somebody who's been driving for a really long time. 
when a teen is sitting next to a teenager, they're a true distraction because they haven't learned how to drive, right? So they're not going to point out something. They'll engage them and probably look at them while they're talking and do things like that, whereas you or I would be focused on the road and be able to alert them, hey, say, you know, there's a vehicle that's coming in. We'll warn them. So what we find is that uh, it's a compound issue, but certainly one that, as a village, we can change together. Great. So Share the Keys, the program that NJM has sponsored, it's a free orientation program for parents and their teen drivers. Describe what the program is like, what's the format, and how does this work? Share the Keys is a a program that's based on empowerment of families. And what we... uh, what we strive to do is give parents the information, the resources, and the tools that they need to safely guide their young driver throughout this process. And all too often, these, there are very simple things that parents can do that they're unaware of. And so what we find is that during the presentation, we share information with them, like the statistics that you share today, that really bring the message home as to what a great problem this is and, and how the huge impact that it's having on so many communities and the fact that none of us is immune to this right? All of us are at risk when we're on the roads and we're driving, we have exposure. And so when parents become aware of that, and then they're given simple tools uh, that are, are ways that they can truly cut their, their teen's risk in half for being involved in a crash, what we find is there's an immediate buy-in. And then based on that buy-in, we give them practical tools and practical wisdom that they can use so that the parent who's you know overwhelmed and perhaps is working two jobs can do the same thing that the parent who's completely involved and has more time to do because they've been given strategies, if that makes sense, and good resources that are supported. So the program is accompanied by a wonderful booklet that has these great contracts and guides for everything from what type of vehicle to select for their teen driver to the log that allows them to easily log the the hours of practice driving and keep track of where they're at with that so that they can ensure that their young driver has gotten the experience that they need before they be they're out there driving independently. Great. Okay, so I know that in part the program was based on a research report uh, released by the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, and it's called Driving Through the Eyes of Teens. So how was the program, what, what information did you borrow or extract or rely on in the development of this program? How, how does that connect to the teenaged audience? Well, there's a strong connection. So what we did is uh, Children's Hospital of Philadelphia did, you know, just a groundbreaking research study. And what they asked were two questions. It was, you know, uh, why are teens crashing and what we could do about it? What can we do about it, rather? And what we saw was that there, there, there were key findings of behaviors the parents could take on, like understanding the graduated driver licensing law, because, frankly, it wasn't there when we we're going through the process, so there isn't a clear understanding. There are new laws. Effectively supporting at home, meaning, you know, simple things like enforcing the curfew and the passenger restriction because you understand them, you're more likely to do that. Being a good role model, increasing practice driving and controlling the keys to the vehicle, which is really about vehicle access and a simple conversation that they can have with their teen. So these were their key findings. Um, And we worked actually very closely with CHOP just to ensure that 
not only were we delivering the right information that would have the greatest impact on the numbers and uh, the greatest opportunity to reduce young drivers' risk for being involved in crashes, but we also took a very focused approach that was best based on a best practice that was put together by Dr. Flora Winston. So what it spoke to were the, was the fact that, you know, we only include these five things that were that we call behavioral objectives in the program, and that's because we want to ensure that parents receive the information that is most important to them. Because we could take any topic and speak for 60 to 90 minutes, which is the time that we have for the program, but if we're going to make a change, it needs to be one that's based on science. Does that make sense? So we want it, it to does. be research-based and then research-driven. So we evaluate the program to ensure that we're actually meeting those objectives. Okay, it makes total sense. So creating relevancy with the adult parents, obviously that would not be as challenging um, for the parents to see the need for this. But creating relevancy with the teen audience, that may have been a bit more challenging. How does the program go about accomplishing this? You make such a great point. Uh, it was a challenge for us, especially in the beginning, because the program almost entirely spoke solely to parents. So there, there was an awkward teenager sitting next to them, right, that was listening to all these things that, you know, we were empowering their parents with, but at the same time, they didn't feel as included at times. So one of the things that we've done with the program, because we evaluated, is that we look at the data and say, all right, what do we need to refine, which is part of that best practice. It's going back and, and figuring out how do we make this more inclusive. And so I'm really proud to share that the, the approach that we take with the program now is all about them working together as a family, making decisions together as a family. And we, we want parents to get that message as well. And I'll give you an example of how that plays out in the program. We have a, a parent-teen driver contract that sets out a rule, a consequence, and a reward for different behaviors, right? So one of them would be cell phones and distraction. So the rule could be, you know, well, should be, right? You're not going to use your cell phone in the car. And the consequence might be something like, you know, you'll lose your keys for the weekend or week, whatever it is that that family decides upon. And then the reward could be something like just you get to continue to drive. It could be something um, like a great incentive of, you know, we're going to pay for your auto insurance or we're going to give you a gas card, whatever the case may be, but there's a reward involved. If the parent and teen begin to that contract in the program, which is what we do, they, they experience what it's like to get on the same page about it. There's a great story I love sharing in the program about um, my father, actually, and coming home late from, from curfew or for curfew. And uh, he, he had like this knee-jerk reaction where he grounded me for like a month in the, in the summer. And it was an overreaction that he had because he was in the moment. Right, And it's one of the best examples that I can point to because I recognized not only was it an overreaction, but my reaction to it was I made his summer very difficult <laughs> because I was so upset about it. Right, So um, I, I look at that and I say to, to the audience, if you got on the same page, like so if my father would have said, if you come home 15 minutes past curfew, you will be grounded for a month. I assure you I would have been home on time, right? And so the idea is for them to establish these rules together so that they know what is expected, the, the role and responsibility of both parent and teen, and that there's more likely, that it's more likely for them to follow through with it. So a parent doesn't have to worry about what 
they're going to say or do if that rule is broken because it's already been established. And having used these type of approaches and this contract in particular, it took so much of the headache out of the situation. So if, you know, and my teams are human beings, so they made mistakes. And when they did, we both knew what was going to happen. And I just would hold on my hand and they'd hand over the keys because we'd already had that conversation. So I think it takes a lot of the stress out of the process. And frankly, for parents, this is a very stressful process, right? You're giving your teen the keys to a car, and you know that it's a a big responsibility as a driver because you've been through close calls or crashes in your experience as a driver. But you don't have necessarily the information and the tools to support you in protecting them. So it's kind of like, well, you know, I was okay. I guess they'll be okay, too. It's really not based on, um, you know, the use of different practices that you would say, you know, I know this for a fact will reduce my teen's risk in half, right? So the idea is really to put them on the same page so that they begin to work together as a family. And that's the, I think that's how we pull it all together. Great. So you've kind of outlined that the program, if a parent doesn't have a sense of how to approach the dialogue with their teen driver or their soon-to-be teen driver, the program helps step them through that. Would you say that's true? Absolutely. It is a step-by-step process. It empowers them with different contracts like the one that I just spoke about. And in addition to that, a get-home-safe contract which all of the purpose of all of these is really to get them on the same page in terms of their communication, to ensure that there's a dialogue that's begun at that orientation. And because they got to try on that behavior, what we know in psychology is that there's a likelihood that more, much more likely that they will continue to use that contract when they get home. And we have also opened up the dialogue for get home safe contract, which is one of my favorite parts of the program, where they pledge that they're going to communicate with their parent, and they could do so with someone else, another trusted adult, but they'll give them a code word. Uh, and then when the code word is established between the parent and the teen, then they know if their teen texts this you know, code word that their teen is in trouble. And then the parent has an option to take whatever approach they want to. They could go into overbearing parenting mode, or they could just simply say, you know, hey, I'm going to go pick you up. Uh, but the point is that they get them out of that dangerous situation, right? And so that's the kind of thing that we want to establish between them. There's a trust that's built in there. And taking it a step further, which is really something I love about the contract, there's a cool-off period for the parent because, you know, you're going to be upset and disappointed if you're picking up your child and there's been, you know, they're coming from a party where there was alcohol or some other behavior that's alarming. But you want to reward them for making the right decision and getting home safely. And so the cool-off period is for you to process what's going on, you know, what's happened, and then to come back to the table and have a simple discussion with your teen about, okay, so this happened, you know, how can we prevent this from happening in the future? Are you okay? You know, because sometimes this is a, a, a flag that's going up that's showing us a sign of a bigger problem, right, as parents. And so I think, you know, the program just has such a, a wonderful ripple effect in terms of the, the relationship that we're establishing with them of trust and knowing that, you know, their parent 
would definitely pick them up if they were in danger. But if you don't have that conversation, uh, your team will not know how to use that, right, if you don't give them a practical tool. And so we go back to the whole uh, premise of the program being about real practical wisdom and practical tools that they can employ that are easy to use. And what Children's Hospital of Philadelphia's uh, Center for Injury Research and Prevention found when it came to these types of contracts is that parents made the assumption, like I did, of telling your teen, you know, if you're ever in trouble, you can call me, without recognizing they're, they're probably not going to call you, they're, they're going to be put in a really difficult position. They want to know that there's going to be a safety net for them. And I think when you, you know, when you share that with them of, yes, there's not going to be a consequence, we're going to have a simple discussion, you use this when you need it because I need you to come home safe. And when that conversation happens, there's a change, there's a shift in dynamics. And what CHOP shared with us is that those were the effective get-home-safe contracts, right? And so that's just one example of how we get them on the same page in addition to the driving contract. Okay, great. So... I'm going to ask about a couple of things with respect to parental involvement and and what a difference that can make. First of all, the laws. So do you feel or find that parents are aware of or fully understand graduated driver licensing laws? No, absolutely not. And I would say the primary reason for that is because we didn't have it, right? We didn't go through the graduated driver licensing law in order to get our license. Uh, the laws were very different when I was growing up. And as a result of that, you know, what I find and what we see largely is that parents will take liberties with this law because they don't understand it. Um, but, you know, people in general take the most liberties with uh, traffic safety laws. You'll be hard-pressed to meet a person who hasn't broken a, a traffic law, right? Absolutely. So, it makes sense that a parent would take liberties in that area because, you know, they may say to themselves, well, my curfew was midnight and I was fine without really recognizing the, the difference in roads today and conditions today um, without making that reference of, okay, so these might be here for a reason. They would take those liberties. Um, the same thing with the passenger rule. I get approached by parents all the time who say, you know, is it okay for me to have um, both of uh, my, my daughter drive her brother and sister to school? They're all in high school together. And I say to them, you know, the risk uh, is, is just so great. I would strongly encourage you not to. The law only permits for them to have one passenger, but my recommendation as a best practice to you would be not for them to not have any passengers at all especially when they begin driving, because with just one single passenger in the vehicle, their risk for being involved in a fatal crash, not just any crash, is increased by 50%. And so it's, it's those kind of things. They're, they're unaware of how dangerous it is to have those additional passengers, and it, it becomes one of those situations where, you know, they don't think it's a big deal because they're related, not recognizing that has nothing to do with the risk factor. We've unfortunately seen um, many tragic crashes where multiple siblings have been lost in a, in a crash, and that's just unacceptable, right? But if people understood what the risk was, then they would most certainly make a different choice. So we know that parents are not familiar with the GDL. 
Um, and we know that by our measurement as well with the program. We gauge their understanding of the GDL before the program, after the program, and then six months to a year later, we're asking those questions again. And what we have found is that we've been very successful in bringing them to a place of familiarity with it where they feel very comfortable immediately after the program, and then we're testing them six months to a year later, and they know what the law is. They can, they can tell us what the restrictions are. So we know that they're, now they're fully aware and empowered to make the right decisions based on their knowledge and understanding of the GDL and why it's in place. Right. right. Yep. So on that topic of sort of following the laws or not following them, how important is the parental role model aspect? Well, you know, what CHOP found was really groundbreaking in that, uh, you know, parents can reduce their risk in half by being involved, but they need to do it in a, w- a way that's supportive, where they're monitoring their young driver and they're setting rules. And in general, with parenting, those are the three factors, right? Those are the three elements for success. You, you want to be supportive, but not permissive, right? And you want to, to monitor and you want to set rules because what they found is when all of those three, three things were, were evident, these teens were half as likely to be involved in a crash. So it's, it's really just about working together. It goes back to the whole idea of it being a village, the taking a village to raise a child. Right, absolutely. So focusing on that element that you so nicely teed up, how can educators, school administrators, and communities become involved or help facilitate this program? How can the greater village help contribute towards facilitating this type of program? Well, we built the program uh, for schools, right? We want to work with high schools to bring the program in and protect their community, help them protect their community. And so we do it in a couple ways. We'll come out and we support the program, we present the program, but what we're really looking for is a partnership with the school. So they can present the program with us because I feel like, you know, and at least in my experience, that presents this united front, right, where you have, perhaps you have a teacher who is a driver's education professional, but that's not necessary. Even the school resource officer can take on a role within the program. The way that the, ro- the program itself is written, anyone could take that role. It's not necessary for them to present it with us, but what we find is that when we partner with schools, the more information that they have, the more involvement that they have in the program, the more they get to know it, the more of a culture of safety that's, that is created at their high school, because now they're fully aware of what the problem is. I can't count the number of times I've sat down with school administrators and their jaws dropped when they realized that this is such a big issue, right, that this is having such a huge impact in their communities. And unfortunately, you know, we've worked with a lot of schools who have lost students, and that really drove their interest because they were totally unaware. So our goal with the program is to reach schools before this happens. We want to prevent it. Right? We, don't, we don't want to have to come in after there's been a tragedy. We want to make sure that we're there before that happens and help create the same type of success that we've experienced in New Jersey. And what is the time commitment around this program? Describe, you talked about bringing the parents and the teens into an auditorium together. What's the time commitment? What's the check-in periods? You know, how, does, how do you deliver the program? 
So the program is typically delivered at night. Uh, we've done some programs during the day, and schools you know, are free to offer it whatever, at whatever time of the day they feel is most suitable to their parents and their community, uh, as well as their teens. But traditionally, I would say we'll have an evening program that's an hour and a half. Uh, oftentimes, we can complete it in 60 minutes, but we leave the extra time because we may be working with a new facilitator or a new school. And so just, you know, take some time to get folks in the door and seated, and we do our evaluations and things of that nature. But it is, I would say, in total, probably um, from walking through the door to leaving the auditorium is a 90-minute program. Okay. What do you think success looks like for this? Do you think that we can anticipate a time when vehicle crashes will no longer be the leading cause of death in teens? Absolutely. Uh, what I can tell you our experience has been with the program here is that six months to a year later, the teens who went through this program were 94% crash-free, and 92% of them were violation-free. So we know that we're making an impact here. And I believe that that's that all goes back to empowering decisions, right? Empowering parents and teens with the information that they need to make the right choices. And, you know, teens is part of that audience and that buy-in. We're not just speaking to parents when we're talking about understanding the graduated driver's licensing law because they may not know why these laws are in place, right? In terms of role modeling, that that's another thing that's huge for teens. You could be a great passenger by being a strong role model and, you know, ensuring that you have the, the, the phone and you're doing the, the texting for your, for your driver, right? Um, and in creating an environment as a young driver where you're not allowing the distraction to take place in the car. So I think, and you're following the laws, et cetera, et cetera. So we, we really try to make sure that that, that uh, message is resonating with the total audience. And I believe that through those empowered decisions, most certainly we'll see a day when this will no longer be the leading cause of death for teens. And that would be a welcome accomplishment. So for those in Pennsylvania, as you're launching it in Pennsylvania, who may want to become involved in some manner, um, can you tell those folks where to find out more information, where to look, and also talk a little bit about the program facilitator role and if there's a possibility for uh, either parents or educators or school administrators to become that formal facilitator? Absolutely. So uh, to learn more about the program, you can visit our website. Uh, we also created uh, sharethekeys.com. It's sort of something easy to remember uh, based on the program's name. And if you go there, you'll see that we have facilitator training available. It's a full-day training um, that's free of cost. Again, this is all of this is free of cost. It's, uh, it's our uh, public service for the community. And they'll receive a full-day training that will give them everything that they needed to know uh, to deliver the program if they so choose. Shows. But what we see is that a lot of teachers just gain so much insight, they're able to use that in the classroom and within the school to, to support the development of a, a nice safety-oriented culture within the, within the school. Um, and with that one-day program, you know, they're meeting all of us and we're partnering together and we can help them figure out ways to make this a truly successful program based on all of the experience that we've had over the last 10 years. Great. Thank you so much, Violet, for being with us today and for telling us about this amazing in-depth program. Thank you for all that you've done in the way of facilitating this research and passing it along to the audiences that you reach. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to share this information and for taking on the topic of teen driver safety. You're welcome. Thank you. 
See our website, keyedradio.org, for resources and links mentioned in the program. This is Annette Gray saying thank you for listening to Keystone Education Radio. The views and opinions expressed on the Keystone Education Radio podcast are solely the views and opinions of our guests and do not reflect the views and opinions of the Pennsylvania School Boards Association. Thank you.